with all my love, Juliet. With all my love, Juliet. All my love, all my love, with all my love, Juliet. Kelly, we all hope to find someone to love, someone who's kind-hearted, someone who we can trust with our heart and innermost feelings. Does that sound familiar? Do you know why you fell in love with your best friend? It is because he is your best friend. Dear Tyrone, thank you for your letter. Trying to be someone we are not is a mistake most people make in our life. Maybe if the stars are aligned, and fate is smiling upon you. One, one of those, those people will become, become someone who's just a little bit more than a friend. With all my love, Juliet. Welcome to Beautiful Strangers. Thanks for being here. None of the stories in this series are connected, but all of them have lived, loved, and lost. I'm Jack Sutterby. And this one's called All My Love with Martin Hobley. When I was 14, I was living in Lower Early in Reading and I was going to a Quaker school called Leighton Park. I had pretty much a normal high school life for a teenager. Trying to find a girlfriend, but um, all boys school wasn't going to happen. One day I slipped over, I just lost my footing on, on the ground and landed badly. By my head I got concussed. Loads of people get some con- concussed, especially during rugby or football. But something went wrong with me because a few days later I started getting horrible headaches and um, for some reason I just had a horrible sense of nausea and vomiting and then I blacked out. Next thing I remember, I woke up in hospital and I had a brain tumour, a tumour of the pineal gland. Because of the size of the tumour, he assumed that it had been there since birth. When Mr Kerr told me that I had a brain tumour, I didn't really know what to think. Being 14 years old, you just think that it happens to everybody. It's just one of those things. The problem was, though, is that um, my tumour didn't really give give a monkeys about me being a teenager. I was going in and out of hospital almost once a month for a brain operation. And then one day, Mr Kerr said, the tumour's growing. Growing. We have to attack it. And Mr. Kerr said... The operation will be like threading a needle between a very fine mesh 
going to cut out as much of the tumour as we can. But and he didn't know what was tumour and what was pineal gland, so he had to guess. And I'll have to come out again without touching any nerves. All this was happening about when I was 15. I demanded to know from Mr. Kerr what the risks were. And I told him to be blunt. And he said, There's a one in three chance you'll become disabled. There's a smaller chance you become severely disabled. And there is a possibility that you won't wake up. I can either take a chance and live the rest of my life disabled, or worse, or I don't take a chance and I die. <laughs> there was no choice to be made. I had to take the chance. I was scared, I have to admit. I remember as I was being wheeled into the operating theatre, I was with a nurse, and I just asked her, Can I hold your hand? And uh, she, she said, Yes, that's fine. And then when we got to the operating theatre, I told her, Tell Mr Kerr, good luck. And that was the last time I ever saw that nurse. When I woke up, the right-hand side of my body was weakened. I had coordination problems. I had severe double vision. Oh, memory, memory problems coming in. Uh, uh, double, um, yeah, so... Uh, double vision. After that, I had to have uh, radiotherapy to try and t attack what was left of the tumour. This caused memory problems as well. I was a mess, but most of me was still working and quite frankly I had got off quite lightly. After that I went back to school and trying to get back into my daily life. When I was 16 things became very very difficult. One day Mr Kerr put me into the MRI scanner. And he said, I'm sorry, Martin, brain surgery's failed. The tumor's grown back. He explained that all they could do now. All we can do now is more pervasive brain surgery. If you refuse any more operations, then you'll only have a few months before you fall into a coma. And then probably 10 months before he passes away. And when you're 16 years old, you're facing death. It was at that point, I just thought, life is just unfair. So for a short period of time, I became obviously very depressed and just wondering how I was gonna cope. But something from within me, I don't know what it was, came along and said, if life's going to be cruel to you, you can be cruel to life. If you've lost everything, then you have nothing left to lose. So 
I felt I could do whatever I wanted in order to save my life. So I called up a herbalist. I was told the tumour is feeding off sugars, salts, fats, and your body is so weak that it can't fight off the illnesses. So what you need to do, cut out the fats, cut out the sugars, cut out the salts. The way to do this was to become vegan, <laughs> very, very strict vegan. I was told how to use visualization, actually visualizing your body attacking the tumor. The best way to stimulate your body is to literally be happy. Just smiling makes your body feel better. And after one month, the tumor had stopped growing. After two months, the tumour was starting to shrink and then after three months it was starting to degrade into cysts while well, cysts were starting to appear on it and the thing about a cyst is that a cyst can't kill you when I realised what was happening I felt overjoyed scientifically there's no proof I know people who've gone through the same treatment and haven't survived the tumour is still in there smaller but for all I know it could grow back and if it does then it'll be stronger than before but if it does grow back I will fight it again and I'll keep fighting it and even if I die I'll die fighting it because this whole episode has made me realize it's not living or dying that matters it's just the fight if you don't fight then you're going to lose the fact that I had to literally be put at death's door before I actually learned it is quite embarrassing. My childhood memories have pretty much gone. Every so often, something from my childhood would come back to me and I hold on to that thought hard as possible because it's so precious to me. One day, a memory came back to me. It said, if I write to Juliet, Juliet would write back to me. So I looked on, on the internet and I found a radio article about something called the Juliet Club in Verona. This is Juliet from Romeo and Juliet, right? Yes, it, they said if somebody writes a letter to Juliet, simply addressed as Juliet Verona, Italy, speaking about your problems, your life, then somebody from the Juliet Club will write back to you, simply signing as Juliet. <coughs> Cue Juliet classical music. When I wrote to Juliet, I very quickly realised I was spilling out my heart and my soul onto this piece of paper. When I posted the letter, it was at that moment I felt sick because I was out of control. 
All my secrets, all my deepest feelings have been thrown out into the big bad world. Writing to Juliet wasn't so much because I wanted to. It felt more like I had to. Six months later, a single letter with the Post Italiana stamp came through my letterbox. Immediately, I turned into a 14-year-old boy who'd just received a letter from his girlfriend and I just couldn't get a smile off my face. But when I opened that letter and saw the handwritten reply from Juliet, I was absolutely astonished. It felt like I'd received a, le a letter from an angel. I, I couldn't put it down, but at the same time, I couldn't show anybody because it was so personal. It changed my life. Back in 1930s, people started leaving letters on Juliet's tomb to um, basically tell Juliet about their, their pain, their suffering. And the custodian of Juliet's tomb at the time decided to take it upon himself to start replying back to those letters, simply signing them as Juliet's secretary. And that's where the whole tradition started. I joined the Juliet Club on Facebook. I was talking to the secretaries. I told them, please read that letter because I want you to know about me. And I told them, if I can be of help to the Juliet Club, then I, I wanted I want to repay the favour for the letter that she had sent me. Every so often, the Juliet Club would get a rather sensitive letter from somebody going through similar experiences that I've had and they'd asked me if, they, if I could try and write a reply. In December 2017, I was chosen to be England's first and currently only permanent secretary of Juliet. In the morning, I would wake up. I'd go through my morning routine, which literally consists of drinking two teapots full of tea. I'd open up my laptop and I'd read through each of the letters one by one. When I'm writing for Juliet, I imagine Juliet by candlelight at a desk with an inkwell and a fountain pen and a piece of paper. In a way, it is a bit like an out-of-body experience. experience. <laughs> Juliet is, to me, the perfect human being. Right now, in today's world, there's a severe shortage of love. How long do you spend on each one, average? Sometimes the words flow quite quickly. Sometimes it can take days for me to understand what sort of reply Juliet would want to tell each person. Dear Juliet, if I could sing to the stars, I would call to you. If I could, I could, dance, in the if I could dance in the rain, would you wet your feet as well? 
could paint a masterpiece, my brushstrokes wouldn't fail. Yeah, Juliet. Could you tell? I don't know where to start. It's been five months since my best friend committed suicide. In the empty desk next to me in school reminds me that he's never coming Dear Juliet, I just wanted to say thank you for your letter. Your words helped me open my eyes, and as for my ex, I'm actually really happy that he's Dear happy. Juliet, I've been able to let go and feel I'm no a 36 year old man who's not had the best of luck with love. I'm scared I'll never be able to trust my heart with anyone ever again. I know it's a lot to ask for. Please put true love in my path. Yours sincerely. Thomas. And I hope to bring my partner to Verona soon. Love, Paula. With love, Amanda, the hopeless dreamer. Do you go on like a Juliet course then for this? Do they tell you like the values of Juliet? who Juliet is, what she looks like, you know, how, what the kind of things she'd say. I have to admit, much to my embarrassment, I haven't read Romeo and Juliet for literally two decades and I can't, can barely remember any of it other than what light breaks from yonder window, disease and Juliet is the sun. But the most important part of writing for Juliet is to write from your heart. There is no right or wrong answers. Has anyone ever messaged you, like, revealing they've done a crime or anything like that? I personally haven't seen any letters from people who who said that they've committed a crime or done anything illegal. I have seen letters from people who, for example, have um, been unfaithful to their partners. All of them said that they were so sorry and so ashamed of what they had done. And as Juliet, you have to point out to them that they need to forgive themselves. I have this theory that bad people cannot write to Juliet because if you lie to Juliet, you're lying to yourself. A bad person cannot admit that they were wrong. Unfortunately, the road to love and finding your own love is never easy. Have you found your Juliet? For pretty much a decade, I lived life believing I couldn't fall in love. The pineal gland controls the hormones which give us emotions. And then I've I just thought, I can't fall in love. I can't trust my feelings because of my tumour, so how on earth am I going to find love? One of the phrases that I learned from the Juliet Club was, love will always exist as long as you believe in it. My Juliet is in Japan somewhere. I haven't found her yet. I just know that she's in Japan. I've got this strange connection with Japan for some reason. 
even my parents don't understand because we've got no relatives over there. The people over there in the countryside they'll say, What on earth are you doing here? There's nothing here. And I'll just say, Ah, oh, I'm just walking around looking for somewhere to drink. Ah, uh, oh, I had a sample of the coffee. And I get all kinds of people inviting me into their house for a cup of tea, um, a cup of green tea. I've had people offering me something to eat because they've seen this foreigner in the middle of nowhere who's obviously lost. And, uh, maybe he needs something to eat. There's obviously something inside of me that's saying, right, you've got to go back. You've got to look for this girl. You don't know where she is. She's over there, but you don't know where she is. So you've got to look and keep looking. At some point, by surrounding myself with all these wonderful people, I'm pretty sure that sooner or later, I'm going to bump into somebody who's going to be just a little bit more than a friend. As Juliet, I see a lot of letters about people saying, oh, what if I walk past the one? What if the one hasn't seen me? And Juliet would point out to you, if they were the one, they wouldn't have walked past you. If they were the one, they would have stayed with you. Last year, the founder of the Juliet Club, as we now know it, sadly passed away. Now, the Juliet Club needs to find sponsors to help this nearly 90-year-old tradition keep going and keep serving the world. If a company would like to sponsor the Juliet Club, then, of course, they, they could contact me for details. Or, better still, they can contact Giovanna Tamasia at the Julia Cup. She's the one who's in charge. Like I say, if a company's associated with Julia Club, then that company's reputation is going to go up. That's it from this one. This episode was produced, edited, and interviewed by me, Jack Sutterby. Thanks to Martin Hopley and the Juliet Club. Uh, he's since asked me to write my own letter to Juliet, which I haven't done yet. Maybe I'm just waiting for the right time. Thanks for listening. Bye. Um. Hey, before I go, just quickly, and it will be quick, I'm going to do a 30 second i'm gonna put this at the end of every episode by the way so if you want to skip then feel free to press the 15 second thing um okay focusing time so i've really enjoyed making this episode and series um but i, I oh, this is an awful start <laughs> 
If you enjoyed the episode and series, I'd love it if you could share it around. Also, I've done it on zero budget. I've edited it in my bedroom. I've not been able to pay for contributors. They've all done it for free, which has been amazing. Um, I've set up a GoFundMe page. Just type in, so much to me, be amazing. That's 30 seconds. Um, yeah, you don't have to, but it'd be cool if you did. Cheers.